Okay, well, let's turn again to the uh, Old Testament and to the book of uh, Genesis. The book of uh, Genesis. <clears throat> I just want to read some verses from uh, Genesis uh, chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12, again, you will understand why I'm reading these verses um, a little bit uh, later on. Genesis chapter 12, reading from verse 1 to verse 9. This is the call of Abram. His name would be changed eventually to Abraham, but at this moment in time his name is Abram. And we read from the first verse in chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12. The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country your people and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all people on earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated, and the people they had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there, Abraham travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At the time the Canaanites were in the land, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he went on towards the hills east of Bethel, and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. There he built an altar to the Lord and called on the name of the Lord. Then Abraham set out and continued toward the Negev. May the Lord add his blessing from the reading from that Old Testament passage. And then we turn again to the Galatian epistle and to chapter 3, the Galatian epistle. We're working our way through this wonderful Galatian epistle and we're at the beginning of chapter 3 and some verses from the beginning of chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3 beginning at verse 1 we read Paul saying, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes? <coughs> Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing if it really was for nothing? Does God give you his spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe 
what you heard. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be, be sorry, all nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. May God add his blessing to the reading from his precious word again this morning. As we are at the beginning of a new year, it's very often the case that we ponder what might happen this year, what's in store this year. We think back to last year and we think of the good things that may have happened last year. We think also of the difficult things, the struggles, the disappointments, the heartaches that uh, we endured last year. And we wonder what this year is going to hold. What can we expect? Are we going to come out of this coronavirus? Are we going to have an easier time in that respect? But what else is going to, is in store for us? We just do not know. There are, of course, some Christians who would say that everything is going to be good this next year because they are Christians. There are Christians who are going to tell us that everything is going to be wonderful because they are going to pray and God is going to bless them and uh, their finances are going to be great this year because God is going to bless them. Their health is going to be good because God is going to bless that. The relationships are going to be fine because God is going to do all of that and everything is going to be wonderful simply because they are Christians. And that is what is being taught, sadly, in certain circles. The idea that if you are a Christian, you can expect God to just, uh, just give you all that you want. Prosperity preaching, we call it. And there are a lot of people who are entering into this next year feeling that is going to be the way things should be. After all, you know, God is the God of the universe. Christ is seated at the right hand of the Father. Surely nothing can happen that is going to be difficult or adverse or challenging this year because we are Christians. Perhaps that was the way the Galatians felt, having become Christians in those glorious salvation days that Paul reminds the Galatians of at the beginning of the third chapter. He tells them that he reminds them of how they came to faith. He reminds them of how God revealed Jesus Christ to them, how they saw, as it were, through the preaching of Paul, Jesus Christ publicly portrayed as crucified and they received him as their saviour. Signs followed the preaching of the word. It was a, a wonderful, wonderful time. Surely everything is going to go well after that. Surely there's not going to be any difficulties. Surely these Galatians after these salvation days could expect everything to run smoothly and look forward to days of uh, power, days where the Holy Spirit is, continues to work in their lives, signs following the preaching of the word, miracles. Surely this is what they should be able to expect. 
Now the book of Acts tells us in the 13th and 14th chapter, the, uh, Luke tells us as he writes those uh, chapters that uh, Paul, on Paul's first missionary journey to Galatia, he came to Pisidian Antioch. Nearly the whole city gathered, we read, to hear the gospel message, Acts 13, 44. And all who were appointed to eternal life believed. Verse 48 of that same chapter. At Iconium, again a city in the region, the Roman province of Galatia, at Iconium, God confirmed the preaching of the word with miraculous signs and wonders following the preaching of the word. Acts 14.3 at Lystra, we note there a, a notable healing of a crippled man. And at Derb, they preached and won a large number of disciples, we read there in Acts 14.21. Then, after going through all those cities, and they come back through from the east to the west again, on their way back to encourage the Galatian Christians. They returned to Lystra, where Paul had been stoned. They returned to Iconium, where the Jews had planned to mistreat them and stone them. They returned to Pisidian Antioch, where they were, had been expelled by the Jews, strengthening the disciples, encouraging them to remain true to the faith, but even there reminding them as they come through that they had suffered as they preached the gospel. It wasn't all clear cut. It wasn't all uh, roses, if I can put it that way. There was a cost in being disciples. There was a cost in living for Christ. There was a cost in being evangelists, in being missionaries. And those costs were being paid for by Paul and Barnabas on that first missionary trip. But I'm sure, as I say, the Galatians had it in mind that uh, thinking all would be well, looking forward to the second coming, looking forward to more converts, more miracles, more healings. But now, as we come to this third chapter of the Galatian epistle, as we come to this Galatian epistle generally, we find that they are an unhappy group of Christians. They are an uncertain group of Christians. And they are bound up in meanness, ritual, religion. And now Paul writes to them, and he describes them as foolish Galatians. What has happened? How do you get from being born again? How do you get from salvation days? How do you get from glorious times where you see miracles taking place and you're so sure and so certain and it's all so wonderful? How do you get from there to being called foolish and being foolish and bound up in legalistic religion? How do you reach that place? That term that Paul uses, I remind you again for foolish Galatians, that word foolish, anotos, a mental laziness. <clears throat> people who were not careful about the gospel, people who were not uh, studying the scriptures, people who just thought that somehow because they were saved, everything was going to go okay and they would never have these sort of problems that they were now happening, 
now experiencing rather. Paul asks a number of questions here in the beginning of this third chapter and in doing so he exposes their, their foolishness. Now, now if, if you're foolish, there, there is no excuse. There's no excuse for your behaviour if you are foolish. It's simply down to you. It's your problem. It's something that you have created yourself. If you cannot understand quantum physics, that you're not foolish because that's complicated. You don't expect people to understand, unless you've studied it at uh, university, you don't expect people to understand quantum physics, but you do expect people to understand their two times table, three times table, those sort of simple things. And if you don't understand those, generally speaking, I'm, sp I'm talking about, then it's because you are foolish, because you simply have not uh, applied yourself to school, you have, uh, you have not done what the teacher asked you to do, the simple basic understanding of, of your times tables, that's the, the teacher would say you were foolish by that. Christian life is not considered, you're not considered to be foolish in your Christian life if you can't uh, grasp the finer points of eschatology. If you uh, find it difficult to work through premillennialism and amillennialism and postmillennialism, you're not foolish if you can't work your way through that. It's difficult enough for the preachers and the pastors to do some of that. But you are foolish if you don't understand and you don't hold on to and grasp the simple message of the gospel. And this is what the Judaizers, or rather this is what the Galatians were not uh, grasping and not holding on to. They were not holding on to the important, simple, precious message of salvation by grace alone. See, the Judaizers' central argument is that Paul's gospel is not religious enough. It's not Jewish enough. And this is why Paul now takes them back in this third chapter, to the beginning of the Jewish nation, in verse 6, saying, consider Abram, consider Abraham. If Paul is going to show them how foolish these Galatians are, he must show how foolish the Judaizers are, with their insistence on the observation and dependence upon the law to offer justification and righteousness. And he uses the evidence of Abraham for several reasons. And I want us to note those reasons this morning. First of all, he wants to back up the experience the Galatians have had. Now showing it is completely in line with the way that God has always acted and dealt with his people. You see, these Galatians here had had this experience and I'm sure the Judaizers would come along and say, well, you may have had experience, you may have had feelings, but those feelings weren't in line with God. They weren't real. They were just emotional feelings. They weren't feelings that were in line with Scripture. And you know, there's a danger, as I said the other week, that we can have feelings that are not in line with Scripture. There are lots of people out there who call themselves Christians and their experiences are not in line with Scripture. There's more of a spiritualism than a Christianity. And they're mixing up uh, 
their Christianity with various other ideas, other religious thoughts, and, uh, and they are thinking that it is all of God. You see, if you have an experience, it may be an experience that is godly and it may be an experience of the Holy Spirit, but if it is, it will line up with Scripture and it will be supported by Scripture and confirmed by Scripture. Paul says that we need to test the spirits to see whether they are of God. So you see, we have to be careful of that. Now, Paul talks about experience here the Galatians experience but he's also saying to them look the experience that you had lines up with scripture the experience you had was a genuine experience the experience you had was a salvation experience it was an experience of the Holy Spirit and he does that by taking a right back to the beginning and showing how authentic it is in line with the word of God. The second thing he wants to show them is the potential of a life that grasps this simple truth, a life that is lived by faith. He takes us right back to Abraham because he wants to show that Abraham didn't live a complicated life. He, he didn't live a theological life, if I can, uh, a deeply theological life, if I can put it that way. He didn't go off to university and, and learn the, you know, to, to be a, a theologian. He was a man who believed God. He was in many ways a simple man. He was in, in, in very ways, he, he, he did not, I don't know what sort of education he had, but he didn't have a, a theological education as such. But the fact of the matter was the success of Abraham's life was that he simply believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. He didn't need to be complicated to have a great life. He didn't need to be complicated to have a successful life. He didn't need to be complicated to have a life that would have repercussions through generations and generations and generations down the line. All he needed to do was to trust God, to believe God, to take God at his word, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. And that's what Paul is trying to say to the Judaizers. And that's what uh, the, the message is for you and for me today. That we don't need to have complicated lives. We don't need to have lives full of rituals and full of ornaments and full of incense and full of all these other things. What we need is a life that has faith in God, is trusting in God, which is credited to us as righteousness. Now the third thing the Apostle Paul wants to make clear, he wants to cut to the very heart of Jewish theology and to show where these so-called impressive Judaizers have gone wrong in their teaching. To destroy the myth that they have created over time and it is a myth that has been created over time. He says here, consider Abraham. Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe in our children of Abraham, the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel beforehand to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Now, you know, there are many people today who say, well, I believe in God. And you wait for them to complete the sentence. And they never do. I'm sure that if you talk to people about Christian things, that will be 
part of the answer you will get, part of the response you will get. You talk to them about Jesus Christ and they say, well, I believe in God. And you wait for them to give you a further answer, but they don't because they think that that is the complete answer. I believe in God. And in believing in God, that's all that I need to do. There is no conclusion. No need to qualify it as long as I believe in God, they say it's okay. I believe in God, don't all roads lead to God? Isn't it true that if I'm religious, I'll get to heaven anyway? Isn't it true that if I consider myself to be a good person and I'm, I'm religious and I believe in God that I'm going to get to heaven? Isn't that true? Don't all roads lead to God? But the Bible says no. The Bible says you have to qualify what you mean by believing in God. The question is, what is the purpose of your belief? What is the value of your belief? And what is the result of your belief if you believe in God? James, the Apostle James, reminds us in chapter 2 of his epistle, verse 19, he says, you believe there is one God, good, even the demons believe and shudder. You see, you can believe in God the way the demons believe in God. You can believe in God, it didn't do them any good, they're in hell. And if you don't believe in God in the right way, with all due respect, it's not something that's People like to talk about very much today, although Jesus talked about it quite a lot, about a place called hell. And that's a place you will end up if you just believe in God in a general sense without qualifying it. I, I'm disturbed time and time again as I, 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 I listen to Christian, so-called Christian leaders and they get up in, in, in great opportunities and they talk about God in a general sense because it's not going to upset anybody. But once you start talking about Jesus, then you start upsetting people. You start qualifying what you mean by God, who you, who you mean by God. The God-man who came to earth, the God-man who lived amongst us, the God-man who died upon the cross, the God-man who holds us accountable, the God-man who will judge the world. That's the God I'm talking about this morning. You say, I believe in God. Do you believe in him? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you believe that God who became a man and born in Bethlehem and died upon a cross for your sin? Because that's the only God who's going to save you. That's the only God who's going to get, to get you to heaven. Paul now qualifies what he means by true belief, saying it is a result of being declared righteous in the sight of a holy God. That's what believing in God means. That's what the result of true belief in God. Genesis 15, we read there, we find the true meaning of faith in God and the true foundation on which God is willing and able to bless people. Jesus warned, didn't he, in the scriptures, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Jesus told a story about the parable of the man the people who were building houses and one, well, someone built a house on the sand. And it looked a lovely house, but it was built upon the sand. And when the, uh, when the rains came and when the winds came and when the difficulties came, the house collapsed because it had been built upon the sand. And Jesus said, that's the way people are building their lives. That's the way many religious people are building their lives. They're building their lives on sand. 
But there was another man Jesus spoke about who built his house upon the rock, and that rock was Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul says, No foundation can any man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. The Jews were steeped in traditions developed over long periods of times. And they wrapped the Old Testament in a, in a cushion of rules called the Halakha. Now the Halakha were the traditions of the religious leaders and they, they wrapped the, the, the word of God in these rules and regulations and it, it grew into a mammoth accumulation of moral, legal and ceremonial regula regulations and, and, and from a Jewish point of view you would look at those and, and the word of God was hidden, hidden inside those rules and regulations. <coughs> It was a bit like Chinese whispers. You ever played Chinese whispers where someone sits at one end of a, a row and the other person sits at the other and one person's got a message and he passes the message on down the line. By the time it gets to the other end, the person at the other end stands up and he says something entirely different from what was said at the beginning. Chinese whispers, well, this was like the halakha. The word of God was so bound up in all these reg regulations, all these rules, that people could not see the word of God. Jesus himself said to them, he said, you teach us doctrines, the precepts as men. You teach us doctrines, the halakha, all these rules and regulations that are meaningless and have no great value. You teach them and you confuse people and use them to turn people away. Even Paul himself had been taken in by those traditions, we read him saying that he was, he, he was enamoured with the traditions of his elders. He loved his Jewish faith. He loved the rules. He loved the religion. But it wasn't going to get him to heaven. And it wasn't until he was on that Damascus road and Jesus met with him that he understood that those rules and those regulations meant nothing. All that meant was the cross. The only one that mattered was the cross, the Jesus Christ of the cross. Dying in the place of Paul or Saul as he was on that Damascus road. Now Genesis 12 records Abraham's calling. And we read just a little bit about it there and uh, earlier on. Abraham's calling to leave Ur of the Chaldeans by faith and to travel to a land that God would show him. He took with him his wife Sarai. He took with him his nephew Lot. And they travel according to God's will. They, he is following what God has called him to do. God has made a promise to him and he follows God and he does what God wants him to do. But a little bit later on we, we discover that Lot is kidnapped sorry, by a consortium of four kings. Big mistake. Big mistake. Uh, trying to kidnap a, a relative of Abraham. Because Abraham was not one of these wimpy relig uh, religious people that we, we so often get accused of being. He was a, a tough guy, Abraham. And he had 318 trained men in his, uh, in his uh, party. And they went out and they... Uh, got Lot back and they fought against these kings and they uh, and they also got all the plunder as well. You know, it rather reminds me of, uh, you know, have you ever seen the film with 
Arnold Schwarzenegger or Liam Nelson where where they somebody dares to pinch one of their relatives or kidnap one of their relatives. Big mistake, big mistake. When I read this, I think yeah, this is this is just the same here. You you don't mess with Abraham, you know. And he went off and he got back. He got back uh, uh, his uh, his family there. He rescued him. But here in chapter fifteen, read it because it's absolutely wonderful. It's far better than uh, than uh, Commando or any of the other ones. <laughs> you can yeah, far better story anyway. Chapter 15 records the conclusion where God speaks to Abraham. And we read there, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham. This is after he's rescued Lot and he's, uh, he's taught those uh, kings a lesson. Now, after this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Do not be afraid, Abraham. I am your shield and your very great reward. But Abraham said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abraham said, you have given me no children. So I, so my servant of my household will be my heir. Then the word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. He took him outside and said, look up at the stars and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Abram, as he was known then, believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, Abraham, as I said, was a, a tough guy in, in a lot of ways, Abram. Uh, but in another way, he was a, a frail and sinful man in the eyes of God. And when God appears to him, all that sort of power in able to manage those four kings and their armies, it just disappears as he stands before God because he's afraid as he appears before, the righteous, before a righteous and a holy God. And he's afraid of a number of things. He's afraid of God because God is holy. He's afraid of his dreams won't be fulfilled. He wants children. He wants a family. He wants family life. He's afraid that that wouldn't be realized. He's afraid that his name would not live on, that he would be forgotten. He's afraid that his wife would bear reproach and ridicule for being a woman who didn't have any children in, a, in an era where that was considered to be a, a bad thing if women didn't have children. He was afraid of many things that day as he stood before God. Things that he couldn't control, things he couldn't manage. But that day, Abraham believed God. And it was credited to him as righteous. That day when he believed God, it made all the difference. God gave him a reason why he didn't need to be afraid, why Abraham should not fear, because God was his shield. God was his great reward. God would be his protection from anything and anyone who would harm him, including the punishment for sin, for his behavior, for his shortcomings. He would be his guard, his shield for the ridicule of being childless. All the issues that Abraham had that he couldn't deal with, God was going to deal with them. The day that Abraham believed God, it was credited to him as righteousness. 
Psalm 18:30, a beautiful psalm. As for God, his way is perfect. The Lord's word is flawless. He shields all who take refuge in him. God said to Abram that day, I'm your reward. I'm your reward. I will give you myself. And Abraham believed God. He believed that God would do that. And 2,000 years later, angels appeared over the skies of Bethlehem, saying, be not afraid. A savior is born. God's promise to Abraham was fulfilled. Through Isaac's lineage, Jesus would come into our world, the Savior of the world. Abraham believed in Jesus. He didn't know his name, but he believed in the promise of God. He believed that Jesus would come. He believed that a Savior would come, and it was accredited to him as righteousness. The one who takes away sin, the one who takes away fear, the one who is our shield, the one who is our righteousness, the one who fulfills our dreams, the one who gives himself to us, the one who makes our lives worthwhile, the one who make, means that our lives have a, have a meaning, have a purpose, that our lives the, the, uh, and our being here in this world will live on after we pass on from this world. And, and that happens when we live a Christian life and when we pass on the message of the gospel to others where we encourage other people, where we train up other people, where we look around us and we say, who can we trust? Who can take up this message? Who can take up the baton? Who can continue after us? I don't want my life simply to be when I die. I want there to be some, something after that. I want somebody to be able to say, well, we're here because he did something. Uh, we're here because he preached. We're here because he encouraged us. We're here now and we're carrying on that message. That's what Abraham wanted. He wanted a legacy. You and I, we want a legacy, don't we? We don't want to simply be here and say, oh, I, I was a Christian. I sat in the, down in the congregation for a certain time. And then one day the Lord decided to take me and I'm in heaven. And hallelujah for that. But I never really sort of, I never really made a mark. You can make a mark. You, you, you can make a difference. We can all make a difference. And that's what Abraham wanted to do. Through this passage here in Genesis 15, and time is going through this passage in Genesis 15, Paul tears down the false theology of the Judaizers who gloried in their Jewish heritage as sons of Abraham. Paul shows it, that shows the gospel of free grace is a genuine and authentic and original way of salvation and not the legalistic traditions of the Judaizers. Abraham, like the Galatians and like all true Christians, believed God and it was accredited to him as righteousness. He believed in the promise. He believed in the Saviour. He believed that the Saviour would be a shield, taking our sins and clothing us in his own righteousness. And the Galatians 3.70, that wonderful, wonderful verse, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you, so those who rely on faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. He completely destroys the theology of the Judaizers. All their pride, all their confidence, 
he destroys it and points once again to the perfect finished work of the cross. Paul reminds the Philippians just in closing because it wasn't just the Judaizers coming to the church in Galatia that mattered, it was they went everywhere just as the Judaizers or the modern day Judaizers are around us all the time in our land today. Paul says watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. May God add his blessing to the reading and the ministry of his word. Amen. Amen.